It's great to be in the house of the Lord with you this morning. I have to confess that I'm a bit conflicted this morning. Well, I'm grateful to be here to preach the word and share. Kids Minute always makes me kind of wish that I was down at Kids Church because <laughs> it looks really fun this morning. Grateful for the work that happens uh, downstairs. It doesn't happen on its own. We have faithful volunteers who make that work possible. We're going to read some scripture this morning today, scripture that tells of many, many stories. The author in Hebrews is very aware of the things that happened in the past, but I would suggest to us this morning that this isn't simple reminiscence. Hebrews isn't inviting us just to a place where we remember these stories to think about them as the good old days of time when something good happened. But the stories are offered to us this morning as a reminder that the God who transformed back then is a God that still transforms today. So as we read through this text, I would invite us to enter into it with that spirit of faith this morning. We're going to pray a prayer of illumination this morning, one that hopefully opens our hearts and minds. Often when we read scripture, um, we come to it with a lot of expectation, a lot of our own agendas. Scripture speak to me and what I want and what I need in this moment. Prayers like this help remind me that God speaks bigger than just what I want, but that God's vision for the world is for that very thing, the world. So I invite you to stand. We're going to pray this prayer and then read the scripture today. Holy God, by your spirit, enlighten us, illuminate us, inspire us, not for our sakes, but for the sake of Jesus Christ in whom we live. Amen. Found in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 29. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as if it were dry land. But when the Egyptians attempted to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell as they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And what more should I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, refusing to accept release in order to obtain a better resurrection. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, persecuted, tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Yet all these, though they were commended through over their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better, so that they would not, apart from us, be made perfect. Therefore, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. 
Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the sake of the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated this morning. I think that we all have stories that shape us. Maybe around the dinner table, we all have that one relative who tells of that solo fishing story where they caught that fish, but every year the story seems to get a little bit bigger. Maybe at a holiday, there's a story that comes out that you kind of roll your eyes when you hear because you've just heard it time and time again. Maybe just at the regular gatherings of family, there's a story that makes its way to the conversation almost without fail. Maybe it's a story that inspires hope, one that brings tears, stories of lost loved ones, stories of friends and family, stories of both good and heartache, stories that give us hope, but other stories that make us feel somber or even disillusioned about the future. Whatever this story is, these sorts of things begin to take root in our front, the front of our minds. And whether we want it to or not, we'll begin to shape the way we expect all other things in the future. It will, in fact, shape the way we perceive the world to be around us, but also the way we perceive the world to be in the future. That if we tell stories of hope, perhaps we look at the places in our world that are most broken, and those stories begin to shape what we imagine. But if we are surrounded by stories of hopelessness, of heartache, ones where there is no future. Stories that may be true in our lives will become more true each and every day as we face new challenges. Because for people of Scripture, both the nation of Israel and for the early church, stories from the past permeated their conversations and behavior. Both stories of faithfulness and failure were given daily space in their conversation and in their worship ultimately impacting the way they lived every day of their lives. And the author of Hebrews knows this, therefore leans on some of the most significant stories in the community to drive their point home. Like I said earlier, what's not found here is a simple reminder that they might reflect on the good old days of a time when perhaps God used to care, but maybe God doesn't care anymore. What is found here are stories that are offered to both reflect on the power that God had in these immense challenges and at the same time, in faith, believe that that God would continue to work in the world around them. The author starts with this great founding story in Israel. I was talking to somebody this morning about just the immense expectation that this text has for our own understanding of the stories of Scripture. There's so many stories, each and every one of them, that could be a sermon in and of itself. And so for the sake of our time this morning, because I know we all have lunch appointments, I won't reflect on all of the stories, but I would like to reflect on one. Perhaps the most important story found in Scripture that is reflected on time and time again from beginning to end is the story of the Exodus. 
a story that would become the founding story of who the people of God were to be. Found in the second book recorded to us in Scripture, we're told of a people who had been enslaved for over 400 years. I want to imagine that in the early days of their exile, the early days of their slavery, their parents would tell their children, keep your bags packed because God's going to liberate us. For they knew that God had promised something. They knew of a God who had created the world in the early lines of Genesis. They told stories of a God who, against all odds, provided offspring for Abraham and Sarah. They knew of a God who had redeemed a broken relationship between two brothers, Jacob and Esau. These were the stories that not only happened in Israel's history, but would go on to shape how they expected the future to be. Yet over the years, as the generations passed, as the over 400 years passed for Israel and slavery, I would like to imagine that the dinner table stories changed. Perhaps they stopped recounting the tales of Abraham and Sarah, the ones through whom God promised to multiply and bless them. Perhaps they had shifted to telling stories of Pharaoh, of Egypt, of an oppressive empire that had enslaved them, a story that was marked with hopelessness, one that never had a happy ending, and one that would begin and end with them enslaved to the evils of the world. I think the author of Hebrews begins to tell this story of these people, one who after generations of slavery and hopelessness are in the process of being liberated. We get invited to the story at the climactic moment, the moment that is the most exciting, the moment where Israel faces this insurmountable sea. The, the, the water is split, the, dry, the ground is dried, and they're led across towards liberation. For Egypt has been devastated by plagues, finally permitting Israel to leave. And the moment of faith in this story is when Moses is compelled to lead them out of slavery towards this insurmountable barrier. Yet despite the obstacle, his faith is one that brings him to a place where he knows only God can move. And I would wonder this morning if perhaps faith is that which leads us to places that we have long since given up hope. Perhaps faith is that which leads us to places where others might look upon and say there's nothing more to be written there. Perhaps faith is that which leads us to these places where the sea is just too insurmountable to cross, a place where only God can move. And this story, while true, would also go on to shape every conversation moving forward for the nation of Israel. It would stand as a model for those that heard it of what God's vision for the world was. It would stand as a model for this vision that God had that all the world could be liberated, that all the world could be redeemed, that the world would be a place where nothing is missing and nothing is broken. And I think perhaps this sort of faith is a place that takes us to places that no one would blame us if we left alone. If it took us to places that nobody would blame us because they too have written them off as places where any hope could be found. But the story continues. Hebrews tells of a people that lived as if God's vision for the world were already true. And God gives them the strength to live in this way, 
to live as if the sea could be parted, to live as if the mouths of lions could be closed, to live as if the slave could be made free, to live as if the walls of Jericho could be brought down. They lived as if this vision were already true as they anticipated the work that God would do in their future. These stories, while significant in and of themselves, also tell us of a bigger story, a bigger vision that God has from beginning to end of history, a vision that all things would be redeemed, which reminds us just how patient God is with the world. Just how patient God is through both seasons of faith and folly, seasons of hope and hopelessness, but God waits for us. For the author, it is crucial that the reader be grounded in this long story that they have inherited. I quite liked this, an author, N.T. Wright, who we quote often said it like this, the reader needs to go back to the family album and remind themselves where they have come from. They must think through the sort of faith that their forebearers had and see how the long purposes of God would lead to new life. I wonder if we need to open the family album again. As we read through these stories, oftentimes we pass over them as maybe insignificant things that were once significant but maybe have no bearing on us anymore. But I think for us, the stories that we tell ourselves matter immensely. Not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others that sit around us. And while these stories of these exemplars in the faith tell of mighty acts of liberation and redemption, the author has a side note. Wants to remind us that those who would choose to follow in the way of Jesus would not always have an easy road. But those who would have the boldness to follow and live in this way would not be met without barriers, burdens, suffering. In fact, it is often filled with challenges and struggles, ones that leave us feeling empty, afraid, and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes doubtful that this journey is even worth our time. I think this sort of honesty is what Hebrews invites us to, a place where we maybe ask even deeper questions such as this, a question that pervades many of our minds. Why do good things, bad things seem to happen to those that are pursuing good in the world? The author of Hebrews doesn't ignore this question, for we're told in, the, <clears throat> in verse 37 and 38 that these people who followed in the way of Christ were stoned to death, sawn in two, killed by the sword, wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Not a very compelling job description, if you ask me. It was said on one occasion, a Spanish saint, Teresa of Avila, who we quoted before, she confronted God with her frustration regarding her own suffering. She is said to have received a response from the Lord, so the story goes, the Lord said this to her, in suffering, this is how I deal with my friends. And she replied to the Lord, well, in that case, you shouldn't be surprised if you don't have many. A kind of comical exchange between this saint and the Lord, it does not intend to imply that God causes these toils in our lives as some sort of puppet master hoping to get something out of us, but instead reminds us that God understands our suffering. God understands the suffering of those who would walk in this way because God, God's self walked this way 
God walked this road and it led God to the cross. If I could say anything to us this morning, it would be this, God understands. What is affirmed in Hebrews is something far more profound than any simple answer or half-hearted truth could ever offer us. The author affirms that suffering and evil exist in the world, yet they exist as a parasite, one that leeches on this world, a world that from the very beginning God has pronounced as very good. I think this leads us to a place where we're challenged to confront those stories that we tell ourselves, the stories that we let live in our minds, the stories from our past that not only shape the way we imagine then, but go on to shape the way that we imagine the future. Stories that lead with these sort of ideas. I guess that's just the way it is. I guess that's just the way it is. These stories guide people to stay away from places that others have deemed too far gone. These stories tell people that certain broken relationships need no more attention. These sorts of stories tell us that even God has moved on. These sorts of stories breed selfishness, suspicion, and disdain for the places in our world that we do not understand. Yet, for those of us who would follow in the way of Jesus... For those of us that would be so bold to walk this road, we're invited to tell a different story when we look at the most broken places around us, the places where others have lost all hope, the places that no one would blame us if we left alone. It invites us to those places to utter these words that God has uttered from the beginning of time. There's still hope. There's still hope hope. Hebrews tells of a people that lived as if God's vision for the world were already true. God gives them the strength to live as if the impassable stretch of the Red Sea could be parted, to live as if the looming walls of Jericho could be brought down, to live as if the slave could be made free, to live as if the mouths of lions could be closed. While in hindsight, in reading these stories, would tempt us to believe that these people did not come into contact with hopeless stories. For it seems like they got to experience the miraculous nature of God, but we ourselves maybe are caught not knowing. I think we should remember that these people often lived amidst unfulfilled promises. The nation of Israel lived for 400 years in slavery. Generations passed, and faith would fade. Stories would change and shift. Expectations would move from hope to something else. In fact, all the stories given to us even predate Jesus and therefore tell of a people who lived believing that there was going to be a future move of God, but had to trust that God would keep his word. These are the stories of people who did not see the promises fulfilled in Jesus, yet still lived as if that promise would be made true. Faith is not the behavior that relies on what is always seen. In fact, it is something that challenges us to live, clinging to a story of hope amidst so many others 
who would have us believe otherwise. One such example of this behavior is found in the book of Leviticus. I know maybe not your average book that you go to for your daily devotional, but a rich text nonetheless, I assure you. Found in the book of Leviticus is this practice known as Jubilee, a practice that was intended to culminate this seven-year cycle that the Lord had for Israel. For every seven years, they were invited to let their fields lie fallow, to not plant, to not reap a harvest, to begin to trust that the Lord would provide. And after seven of these, after 49 years, there was to be a 50th year called the year of Jubilee, a year that required even more faith. For this year, debts were to be repaid, land was to be returned, captives were to be set free. This sort of year was intended to invite the nation of Israel to live as if that world that God envisioned was already here. Yet history would tell us that Israel never actually practiced this ritual. Perhaps they feared it would cost them too much. And while God did not promise them ease in this practice, God assured them that the way of life would signal to something. That to those who looked upon them, they would begin to see a different sort of world, a different sort of practice, a different way of life that was not marred with selfishness, disdain, suspicion for the world around them, but was marked with hope. The author of Hebrews invites us to consider something similar, invites us to consider that the practices that we live, that we do in our everyday lives, what story are they pointing to? The way that we engage with our family, with our friends, with ourselves, with our neighbors, what sort of story are they telling? We've talked over the last two years, it's been a challenge for us at Skyview, as so many different stories have dominated our consciousness. Stories that were very much marked with, I guess that's just the way it is. When things seemed to be so uncertain, and we didn't know what tomorrow would hold, not knowing what the future would look like, we chose to believe and ground ourselves in a story of hope. A practice that was not always easy. A practice that still challenges us today, but one that was important As we braved the uncertainty of these past two years, we clung to a story of hope that invited us to look at the challenges of our world around us and say, there's still hope for that too. God can still move in that too. If we continually remind ourselves of stories such as the Exodus, this liberation, how would it affect the way we viewed our world? How different would our families look? if we had the faith to believe that all things could be made new. This chapter ends by affirming where this sort of life is leading. Verse 40 alludes to this, so that they would all be made complete. The word complete is linked to what God's vision is for the whole world. It implies that the way that we live our lives can stand as little pictures, little images, can point to something. I would challenge us today to consider that all of our lives point to something. The invitation of Scripture is for us to assess to where our lives are pointing and perhaps pray for reorientation that we might point towards Jesus. That in moments that are marred with hopelessness, that we would ask God to orient our lives towards stories like the Exodus, towards stories like the lion's den, 
like the walls of Jericho being brought down. This passage ends in perhaps a familiar place for some of us. Verse 1 reads like this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us. We are offered this picture of the journey of Jesus as a race, not one that is a sprint, but a long, long race. Maybe some of you are runners here, while others maybe disdain that I would even mention the word running in your presence. I don't know. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. About a year ago, I started my own running journey that I realized for far too long I had let stories of my, my feeling of insignificance and failure guide my life. So I began to run, <clears throat> hoping to give myself a better story that could guide my every day. And now one year later and two big, pretty significant races later, I've learned something. I've learned in my training as I was working towards my goal that I had a vision of what it would be like to cross that finish line. I had a vision of what it would be like to get to a place where it was all worked out. I had this idea of what that day would look like, but there were a lot of days in between now and then. A lot of days that felt pretty mundane felt pretty hopeless, days that I longed for how I would feel in the future, not for how I felt in the moment. However, on these mundane days, in the middle of the week, where the runs just felt endless, doubting that I would ever actually complete the race, I heard this word, patience. Scripture uses this word, let us run the race with perseverance. Other translations that I quite like, it says run the race with patience. The author of Hebrews, in contrast with the strain of running, uses this word patience, inviting us to reflect on the stories given to us, one that transcend generations and on their own feel maybe disconnected from one another. Yet God whispers in our ear the word Patience. I think that all of us long to see the world made new. I think that all of us, as we reflect, even on our own family dynamics, there are perhaps things that feel far too broken. Maybe that sibling that we haven't talked to in a long time. A parent that we feel disconnected from. A relationship with ourself that we feel like will never be mended. The list could go on and on of the places that feel most hopeless in our lives, and I think God whispers this word into our ear, patience. For we're reminded in this story, this one overarching grand story of scripture, that God is patient, and God has a long story of grace for this world, one that requires patience from all those who would choose to walk its road. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward, and we'll close in a song. I'd like to close with this idea. I think we need to learn to make space for better stories in our lives. I don't know what the story is that you tell yourself every day. Maybe for some of us, our morning routine is marred with checking news headlines, looking for the most hopeless story we can find. Maybe our routine starts with us looking in the mirror and telling ourselves, well, I guess that's just the way it is. 
Maybe our morning is filled with doubt, suspicion, disdain, that anything could ever change in the world around us. But I think that God utters these words to us in moments where we feel like the walls are too high. The sea is just too insurmountable. That there's just too much against us. God says, what God's been saying to me for the past few years as I reflect on my relationship with different family members, relationships that have been lost and marred these past two years. Ones that probably nobody would blame me if I gave up on. God has uttered these words in my ear. There's still hope. I don't know where we are this morning. What those places are that fill our minds. But know that scripture is very clear. It doesn't matter how tall the walls are doesn't matter how far the sea stretches. But the God who liberated the people from Israel did not stop there, but will continue to move in our world today.